It's Friday, February 21st, and in today's episode of the Pod, we'll be talking to three people who are keyed into sustainability at Lewis and Clark. Sustainability and divestment have been growing topics at colleges across the U.S. as students call for greater commitment from their institutions. Protesters disrupted the annual Harvard-Yale football game in Connecticut today. Some 150 students from both schools stormed the field at halftime, delaying the game for nearly an hour. They're demanding the universities drop their investments in fossil fuel companies that students say contribute to climate change. In 2016, the Princeton Review ranked Lewis and Clark as the number one college in the nation for sustainability. Today, we'll be updating you on LC's status regarding sustainability. First, we'll hear from LC's sustainability analyst intern, Nicole Godbout, who collects data from all three of LC's campuses, the undergrad campus, the graduate school, and the law school, to file the sustainability report that the Princeton Review and Sierra Club used to rank colleges. Then, we'll have LC Sustainability Director Amy Dvorak on to talk about recent developments in sustainability offerings at LC. And we'll finish off with an interview with SEED President Lauren Walker on how students got the Board of Trustees to divest from fossil fuels. We have LC's Sustainability Analyst intern with us today, Nicole Gabu. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Nicole is an environmental studies and international affairs double major from Seattle. She works in LC's sustainability office gathering data to fill out the ASHI sustainability tracking assessment and rating system, or STARS. So mm -hmm. can you start off by telling us why LC uses STARS and what purpose it serves for an institution like Lewis and Clark? Right, well, in order for a given institution to improve their sustainability practices, they have to know where they're at so a system like STARS allows an institution to track, measure, assess, and then identify opportunities for growth. And with this assessment, it also allows students and those that are interested in making attendance decisions or donations to the school to understand how Lewis and Clark's sustainability compares to other institutions. So how often does Lewis and Clark do the STARS assessment? The STARS assessment is uh, filled out every three years. And for each assessment, you can use data from within a three-year time period. Okay, so how does STARS compare to other rating tools and certifications? It's similar in that it's an audit system. For ours, we fill out questions, we provide uh, data and explanation, and then the third party, which is AISHI, uh, reviews our data points and if uh, anything doesn't match up, they'll ask us to further justify our decisions or to uh, change how we're ranking ourselves. And then after they provide that feedback, then your score is confirmed. Um, it's dissimilar from other perhaps more well-known certifications that are certifying a specific product or a uh, type of manufacturing or growing, so thinking of organic certification or fair trade, whereas STARS is institutional, and so it covers a lot more types of sustainability than a typical certification does. Great. So given that you are employed by the college to collect the data that you then input into the assessment tool, I was thinking we could go through each section of the assessment and you could kind of describe how you found the data for that section and then mm -hmm. um, talk about where LC stands um, within those 
markers. Yeah, happy to share. Great. Kind of where the first data collection kicks in is with institutional characteristics, which sets the background for your school. So this is the size, how many students you have, how many employees, um, what your acreage is like, as well as uh, number of programs offered and the demographics of your student body. Great. So just to clarify, the way that this works is that depending on what your responses are to the various questions, you are awarded points, Mm -hmm. right? And then those points can be used to compare your institution to other institutions. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the next section is academics, and this includes subsections of curriculum and research. So under curriculum, we are basically assessing the uh, number of sustainability-focused or sustainability-inclusive courses offered at the college. STAR's definition of sustainability is an inclusive one, so it requires the interaction of environment and socioeconomic conditions uh, for their definition. Mm -hmm. So this was one of the hardest sections to gather data for because I had to read course descriptions for every class offered for all three campuses uh, for the 2018-19 academic year and determine if they were sustainability-focused or inclusive. Uh, A focused course, the primary objective would have to do uh, with the interaction between environment and socioeconomic conditions. And sustainability inclusive is that there's a component um, or lesson plan about sustainability. And what percentage of Lewis and Clark's has a sustainability? Um, 14.35% of courses have a sustainability component and then within academic departments, that is 90.24% have at least one course that has a sustainability component. And then you mentioned research. Can you talk more about that? Mm -hmm. So at Lewis and Clark, there are 272 total, as a total number of employees that conduct research. As of the 2018-19 academic year, 13% of employees at Lewis and Clark that are conducting research are engaged in sustainability research. And then zooming back out to the department level again, 34% of departments that conduct research are engaged in sustainability research. So the engagement section under campus engagement includes questions about student educator programs, uh, student orientation, for us that's NSO, student life, outreach and materials, sustainability culture, education programs. So under student educators program, we consider the sustainability council and the sustainability department at large to act as this education program. So we score that 100% of students are served by sustainability outreach and education programs at Lewis and Clark. And does that include like student clubs like SEED? And then the Sustainability Council has staff and faculty and students from all three of the Lewis and Clark mm-hmm. schools. Right. They, they take on various sustainability initiatives. Mm-hmm. Student orientation, again, 100% of students, students are required to participate mm-hmm. in new student orientation. And this includes some education on how sustainability occurs at Lewis and Clark. So at NSO, we talk about the efforts to serve local food, um, composting in dorms. One of the sections within campus engagement is student life. Mm -hmm. And there's various questions about the types of clubs or programs or groups that pertain to different sustainability topics. 
So there's questions uh, regarding groups that just at large focus on sustainability. We cite the Law School Sustainability Group, which is a subgroup of the Natural Resource Committee. And then on the undergrad campus, we have SEED, Students Engaged in Eco-Defense, and they were spearheading the divestment, mm-hmm. um, which we will talk about later. That's also yeah. included in the audit. We also note that we have a garden and farm club, and this practices alternative farming and gardening practices. One section that we don't have is a student-run enterprise. A student-run enterprise would be like student-run food co-op, but mm-hmm. at Lewis and Clark, Bon Appetit is the only source of food on right. campus. Okay. Right. There's various other sectors of sustainability. Um, One example of this is that for the Climate March, the LC Graduate School of Education held a community art event where students, faculty, and staff could co-contribute content to an installation. There's a section for wilderness and outdoor programs, which is where we include College Outdoors, which is Lewis and Clark's uh, program to provide students with access to the outdoor environments in the Pacific Northwest. We have various communities such as the Environmental Action, Living and Learning community for students on campus to be engaged with sustainability. We also have student employment opportunities and this um, includes being a student sustainability coordinator, um, so coordinating the Renewable Energy Fee Fund grant program, sustainable operations interns, uh, which focus on operational sustainability. I know a few years ago, someone in the physics department was interested in measuring uh, wasted water from toilet flushing at Lewis and Clark and got connected with operations and did a whole case study about how we could improve wastewater. So if we move to a different section under campus engagement is outreach campaigns. So our number one outreach campaign is divestment from fossil fuels. So in 2018, the Board of Trustees voted to divest from all fossil fuel holdings in their endowment by 2023. And Lewis and Clark is now one of about 30 colleges and universities nationwide to make this commitment. And the campaign was run by Lewis and Clark students um, in the SEED Club, uh, again, students engaged in eco-defense. And the plan is to be fully divested from fossil fuels and all holdings that are involved in the fossil fuel industry by 2030. The second campaign that we highlight is transportation and parking program improvements. I'm sure a lot of us are aware that Lewis and Clark has very high transportation rates by car to school and this is something that we're trying to address. So over the last two years there's been several projects to reduce transportation related impacts. Um, This included increasing the subsidy for public transit. Uh, Some students launched a Waze carpool program and we instituted a bike sharing program on campus. From this campaign, transit sales, so for bus passes, increased by more than 10%. It's a great outcome. (laughs) (laughs) I know that just from meeting different people, going in and out of meetings while I was completing the assessment, that it is something that boards at Lewis and Clark Mm -hmm. are talking about. Mm -hmm. Campus is not situated well for public transit. Mm -hmm. Pretty much if you're across the river biking or biking to Zupins and taking the bus from there, but nothing is that accessible. So the next section is public engagement. For community partnerships, 
Lewis and Clark is relatively involved. So we are part of GYPSON. GYPSON stands for Greater Portland Sustainability Education Network. We've been members since its founding. So this includes uh, providing assistance in planning, participating in student-led groups and conferences. And in 2019, last fall, Lewis and Clark, along with OMSI, hosted a virtual bridge to COP25 on our campus. And this was for both Lewis and Clark students and for the general Portland community to come together in a space and engage together about climate change and also to um, connect with leaders that were in Madrid. Uh, President Vim attended COP25 as a delegation with the Climate Leadership Network, which is part of uh, an organization called Second Nature's commitment to the acceleration of climate change through higher education. And I know that this experience was really valuable for Vim and to put the, the context of the goals and the type of students that come to Lewis and Clark in conversation with broader climate change movements. And I know that he specifically came away very inspired by what higher ed can do and what Lewis and Clark students can do for global climate change. Another institution that we're a part of is the Intentional Endowments Network. In 2016 to 18, Lewis and Clark had a chief investment officer serving on the steering committee for this organization, and they were also on the committee that was addressing the Paris Climate Accord. Were they investing Lewis and Clark's endowment in things like ETFs? No, so basically this was Lewis and Clark offering our chief investment officer to this organization um, and they Mm -hmm. assisted in preparing at the time the Paris Climate Agreement draft guidance to assist other institutions in adopting their investment uh, strategies and policies in light of the agreement. Okay. And then most recently in 2019, we used an outsourced chief investment officer. So we're still involved in this network, but we were not providing our own investment officer. The third partnership that we have here I mentioned earlier, but is with Second Nature, uh, which is the uh, climate leadership network in Portland that President Vim is on the board of. And this, again, is uh, comprised of colleges and universities within the United States that are taking action on climate change and preparing students through research and education to address climate change. At Lewis and Clark, 35% of students are engaged in community service, um, and this is about uh, 1,200 students that participate in community service that the school is aware of out of around 3,400 total students among all three campuses. Were you the one who collected the data about community service? Like, who did you reach out to? Yeah, so the entire experience with uh, completing this audit was sending out a bunch of emails to people. Sometimes I had the right name, sometimes I didn't. Mm -hmm. Um, None of this information is available in any location. It's everywhere. In, in so many different people's brains, sometimes not even necessarily recorded in an organized manner. So I gather this information from the Director of Student Leadership and Service, Harold McNairn, uh, on the undergraduate campus, the Director of Research and Assessment at the grad school, um, her name is Barbara Shepperson, and then from the Director of Public Interest uh, Law and Career Services at the law school, Cara Seller. So it's most reliable in terms of students engaging in community service that the colleges have had a part in facilitating and also 
there are some scholarships that are based off of community service hours. Mm -hmm. So those would be recorded, but students that, yeah, engage in service without (laughs) letting Harold know (laughs) will not be included in this number, which I think points also to sustainability and rating systems are only as good as the questions that are asked, the definitions of what counts and your ability to get information. Yeah. And I know everyone kind of talks about like the revolution of data and it's it can tell us a lot, but again, it only can tell us what we ask it to. And yeah. so especially when there's no set person that's supposed to be doing this audit, you know, Amy has many things to do. Like everyone that I email has so many other tasks that allow the college to function on day-to-day basis that sometimes like accurately collecting and storing this data is not uh, at the top of the list, which I do think having a system like STARS where every three years you do have to fill it out Mm -hmm. as we continue to use this assessment, we'll be able to track over time um, improvements or continued opportunities for growth. We would evaluate that and view it through the lens of understanding what it asks, what it doesn't ask, and what our numbers really tell us. (laughs) Kind of in the same um, vein to community partnerships and collaboration is Lewis and Clark's engagement with regions outside of the campus itself. And I know in our most recent strategic plan, becoming more engaged uh, both in the Portland community and internationally, uh, is one of the, the new goals. Yeah. Lewis and Clark has provided support and advocacy for cap-and-trade legislation, mm-hmm. which is a contentious deal right now in the state. Um, Can you briefly explain what cap-and-trade is? Mm, yeah, so cap-and-trade legislation in Oregon would be creating a set amount of uh, carbon dioxide emissions that a entity could emit into yeah. the air. And if a business or operating system um, institution wants to emit more carbon than that cap allows, Mm -hmm. then they would have to buy permits from other institutions that wanted to and were able to emit less CO2. At a larger scale, we've also advocated for cap-and-trade legislation efforts at the West Coast in general. The next section is operations. This includes uh, questions regarding air and climate, buildings, energy, food and dining, grounds, purchasing, transportation, waste, and water. So this is kind of a lot of the what people might think of as like hard sustainability. In order to track our greenhouse gas emissions, Lewis and Clark uses the Clean Air, Cool Planet Campus Calculator. So with greenhouse gas emissions, we have a very cool tool that calculates the per-weighted campus user emissions of scope one and two greenhouse gas emissions per weighted campus user 3.623 metric tons of co2 equivalent so questions about building design focus on buildings that are certified Uh, perhaps the most popular certification is our lead certified buildings lead stands for the leadership in energy and environmental design Um, So at Lewis and Clark, we have four LEED buildings. Um, This includes Holmes Hall, which is LEED Gold. Uh, J.R. Howard Hall is also LEED Gold. East, West, and Roberts Residence Halls are LEED Silver. And Wood Hall on the Law Campus 
is also LEED Gold certified. Lewis and Clark undergraduate students purchase renewable energy credits to cover 100% of energy usage each year. What does that mean? Lewis and Clark uses energy from coal, uh, hydroelectricity, natural gas, solar, wind. When we buy renewable energy credits, this is essentially paying for the environmental impact that non-renewable energy has. Okay. It's kind of like a carbon offset. It's exactly like a carbon offset. And does Lewis and Clark have solar panels? On campus? Yes. Lewis and Clark has a 100 kilowatt solar array on campus, but we don't own the green tags for this installation. So I asked Amy what not having the green tags meant, and she told me that the solar panels on Pamplin were built by a third-party PPA, which means that we purchase the energy that the solar panels generate for a lower rate than it would cost to buy energy from another party. And the fact that we don't own the green tags means that we cannot count that energy as solar energy in our reporting. So food and beverage is an an ongoing audit. We've been trying to get this data probably for three months now, um, and it has not come through. These questions consider the availability of food and beverage um, on campus that is sustainable or ethically produced. Right now, we have that 28% of the um, money that Lewis and Clark spends on food goes towards sustainable um, and ethical food. Wow, only 28%. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Because, like, judging by when you walk into the bone, like, the displays, the displays that you see, you right. would assume that the majority was coming from right. sustainable sources. So my one note on that is this could be data from 2016. Okay. And so it's possible that Lewis and Clark has increased yeah. that. But, again, we've been trying to get this information from Bon Appetit, yeah. um, and they have not been able to provide it to us mm. yet. Um. There's questions about inclusive and local sourcing. Right now, we don't have an answer for this because we haven't been able to see the updated information. I know the rhetoric from Bon Appetit is that we do try to source locally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like Portland and Oregon in general is a great location to source locally. Yeah. But again, we've not been provided that data. Um, low impact dining options here is also a measurement. Um, and we do report that we have low carbon and meatless Mondays um, as events and or marketing programs that occur within the dining facilities. We don't have meatless Mondays though, do we? Oh, I thought. There was a campaign to have it, but they they didn't pass it. it? Mm -mm. Oh, Mm -mm. okay. Yeah. Maybe this is from 2016. I think they tried to do something similar, but it wasn't a meatless Mondays. Then people like, there was a lot of pushback. So they got rid of it. We definitely don't have meatless Mondays. Okay, great. Let me just make that a note. Um, it asks about vegan vegan dining programs. Um, we do provide vegan <laughs> dishes. Yes. <laughs> um, as well as vegetarian, gluten-free, and other dietary restrictions. And Bon Appetit at Lewis and Clark has received... An, Numerous awards for its vegan friendliness, Mm. so this survey says. (laughs) Um, 
Another component here that is fascinating to me is food waste minimization and recovery. I think we're all pretty aware that there's a lot of food waste out of the bone. And we have had programs set up um, to better process our waste, our food waste. Mm -hmm. If you want to read more about the way that Bon Appetit handles its waste, there's an article in this week's pile log about Urban Gleaners, which is a program that comes and picks up Mm -hmm. um, leftover food and distributes it to people who need food. And for a while, Lewis and Clark had stopped giving Mm -hmm. to Urban Gleaners, but it appears from like the research done to write this article that they have resumed. Mm -hmm. I'd say there's a more of a contentious history with rhetoric or like marketing marketing of um, dealing with food waste Mm -hmm. um, and not actually having the program being implemented. Yeah. Again, this is something that we are trying to find clarity on through Bon Appetit, um, mm-hmm. but have not been provided uh, with the details there. And then what about waste collection just in general from the school? Right. Uh, this is another example of a pretty frustrating category in terms of the need to measure things. Like I said in the beginning, like you have to know where your baseline is to know how to improve. Yeah. And typically when, especially large institutions, contract for their waste uh, recycling compost to be picked up, the data is collected on um, how many pounds of uh, each type of waste. However, in the past year, Lewis and Clark has a new contractor uh, organization and they have not been recording Lewis and Clark's waste. And when we tried to get this information, they gave us Portland city averages instead of anything specific to Lewis and Clark. And so right now we're trying to figure out how to to measure ourselves, um, to be honest in the survey, uh, because we don't have any data within the last three years, but the Mm -hmm. data that they provided was inaccurate and also to work with the contractors to help them understand why it's really important for us as a school to know. Um, In the past, we've had greater rates of recycling and compost than Portland on average, and that is something that the school wants to emphasize. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's pretty frustrating (laughs) to not have uh, have this data and know where we're at right now. In terms of composting, uh, we compost approximately 25,000 pounds of food each month from both pre- and post-consumer waste. So this includes campus-wide composting like in dorms um, and also like prepping for the bone food. Mm. Um, So 25,000 pounds of food each month. Wow. And I would assume this um, data is from the 2016 data set. Okay. That's my assumption. So I'm going to stop Nicole's interview there to stop it from getting too long. But for anyone who's interested in listening to the rest of the information that Nicole had to share for some more really interesting insights, you can email us at thepiopod at lclark.edu. The email is listed in the description of this episode, and we will send you the entire interview. That kind of rounds out the assessment. Um, like I mentioned earlier, we're, we've been working on it um, since fall, and we're still in the process with certain sticky components that we can't get the data for, but we're hoping to um, complete within the next two weeks, and then we will send it to STARS. They will have their third-party individuals audit what we've submitted, respond with any questions, concerns, need for proof, um, calculations that we did wrong, 
and we'll adjust those, work on editing those, uh, resubmit it, they will confirm again, um, and then later in the year, uh, the official ranking and rating of the college um, and other institutions that are participating will be released. Great. Okay, thank you so much for going over that with us. Okay. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm glad to share the information. Thank you so much for coming on the PioPod and speaking with me about the STARS assessment. So first, can you go over what Lewis and Clark uses the STARS assessment for? Is it mostly to gauge how sustainability at Lewis and Clark has improved over the years, or is it to compare our institution with similar institutions? Yeah, so um, thank you so much for having me and for, you know, being interested in this topic. It can be, the reporting piece can be a little bit dry, so it's <laughs> nice to have someone ask some questions about it. Yeah. We use STARS for a couple of things. One I would say is to track our progress over time. That's an important aspect for us just to be able to see, um, like, one thing that um, happened this year is that we actually increased our energy use a little bit in 2019 over 2018 mm -hmm. and we had been you know having a steady decline um, since really I since I started here in 2010 and so it was like oh something happened yeah. and so we're able to connect with people and and be like okay so you know we saw this you know could it be this could it be that yeah. you know what are you tracking you know what adjustments that do we need to make yeah. so it gives us an opportunity to have that kind of feedback loop mm -hmm. and hopefully always be improving mm -hmm. but definitely things like slip back and then move forward over time um so it just kind of gives us the longevity of tracking as well using that stars program um, but one of the other big things that it's useful for for us is that the information from STARS feeds into the Sierra Club Cool Schools ranking and also the Princeton Review Green okay. Schools ranking. So um, when we fill out that information and send it to them, they use that to develop those sort of like who's the coolest greenness okay. um, among the nation. Okay. But they actually use that information. They don't take all of the STARS reporting. Um, mm -hmm. They kind of pick and choose what they want to use. And then they apply their own weighting criteria to it. Mm -hmm. So they may say, you know, climate is more important than recycling. Or, mm -hmm. you know, what you're doing with energy is more important than maybe transportation or something. Um, and they sort of make those changes on a year-to-year -year basis. So mm -hmm. we don't really know exactly how their methodology is going to look until after the rankings come out and then we're like okay here's the data that they used and here's how they scored it okay gathering that information takes a lot of time and then making sure we kind of track it and verify it um, also takes some time yeah the exciting thing this year um, in some previous years as well is having students work on it mm -hmm. and be able to have that experience themselves and be able to put that on their resume and go out and tell you know potential employers yeah. like yeah I know how to gather data I did this massive report yeah in the past year or so, Lewis and Clark did a ban on single-use plastics. Are there any other big sustainability efforts that are happening at the college? Yes. So this year, uh, we've been working on updating our climate action plan. Mm -hmm. So our climate action plan is 10 years old uh, now. And so we're working on sort of developing the vision and goals for the next 10 years. Mm -hmm. And so really what we're hoping to do is one, kind of engage students in 
what they'd like to see on this campus, but also how the campus and the institution interacts, you know, regionally and nationally on these issues. You know, what are we teaching students around, you know, climate justice or climate activism mm-hmm. and kind of preparing for how we can operate and teach and learn in a world with trying to keep our emissions and climate to 1.5 degrees C. That's a big thing that we're working on, that there'll be more opportunities for students to participate in, like, what that looks like and what we do here on campus. Ideally, we'll be working towards sort of climate neutrality in the next year. That will be done primarily through using offsets and recs. There have been emission reductions over the years, but we'll be using offsets and recs initially, but then moving forward, looking at how we can like decarbonize the campus yeah. in the, you know, I don't want to say long term, but maybe like medium term, like yeah. what can we do in the next couple of years to okay. five, maybe 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things we, we need to do is address our natural gas use. Yeah. So some schools have gone to just using electric mm-hmm. energy instead of gas energy. Some schools have gone to what's called like renewable natural gas, so like manure or our food waste goes to a facility that produces what they call renewable natural gas. I'm air quoting. Mm -hmm. And then um, also some have like carbon capture attached to their facilities. So we got to deal with that. Um, We have to figure out sort of how we address our airline emissions. Yeah. That's been a new thing we've been working on this year. Yeah. And then we'll probably be looking to partner with someone to directly invest in some kind of, I want to say like a drawdown type project. Mm-hmm. So some, so a project that sequesters carbon. Okay. Probably won't be on campus. It'll probably be off campus. Mm-hmm. But we're hoping that we'll have some direct partnership in some something like that, um, that's hopefully students and and faculty and staff can participate more directly in, you know, maybe there might be a learning component to it. Does the college have any plans to install more solar panels? Um, Yes-ish, Okay. I want to say. We've tried a number of times over the years to install more systems, so we have, there's one, a small carport at the law school Mm -hmm. that we put in, but I think we've got a shot at putting some panels on Watsik. Mm. So we did a feasibility study for Watsik. So that one actually could be pretty sizable. I think it was around another 100 kilowatts or so. So Watsik's an option. We had a plan for another um, 150 or so on Zed Bauer, mm. so the pool building. Yeah. And that one we might get a shot at again. And then where else? We've talked in the past about, like, parking lots, putting mm-hmm. um, systems up over parking lots. They're really cool. People like them, you know, and they provide some shade and cover, yeah. but they're really expensive because yeah. of the structures. Yeah. So that's one that we've talked about as well. So I think in the next couple years, mm-hmm. we'll probably see another one or two or three potential solar arrays, okay. but maybe maybe it's we end up investing in a location off-site. That part will be kind of working out as we develop sort of our carbon neutral strategy yeah. and then figure out what projects we want to invest in initially. Cool.
Yeah. I heard a rumor that there is possibly a climate change minor Mm -hmm. um, in the works. Mm -hmm. Do you know anything about that? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. Mm -hmm. There's a group of, I don't know if you're familiar with SEM, if you've talked to anybody about the strategic Strategic enrollment. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a group that's been working through SEM Mm -hmm. to see if we might have climate change or climate related Mm -hmm. studies courses. I I think in in the... ideal world or in what has been proposed kind of across the curriculum so you could be in philosophy or religious studies or biology or you know psychology you could be in a number of programs and have a climate studies course there which could lead to something like maybe a minor or you know some other structure Mm -hmm. um so there's definitely been discussions I can uh, confirm that for sure we just haven't landed on like, what's the right solution and makes sense? Yeah. But at the times that I've mentioned it um, to students, there seems to be interest. So it seems like our president, Vim Eval, is part of a lot of climate efforts and kind of is signing on to a lot of um, different committees and, glo- like, global kind yeah. of um, collaborative efforts. What do you think is the role of an institution like Lewis and Clark, a college, university, like, what can we really do in terms of sustainability Um, and what can our role be in like addressing these bigger like climate issues? That's a great question. I think, you know, one, it's, it's great to have someone like our president who's championing those issues and is on some of these boards, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it helps, I think, move the needle for us, but you know, for other groups too, to see people who have, that voice at that level and are able to to use it that way. I think the role really for us is the teaching and learning that happens from the students because you all, like we can do our own little environmental whatever here on campus and in our little pocket, but that's not really our biggest impact because we're just kind of here up in the forest and like we're not, it, you know, our direct impact, you know, from our operations is not that huge, mm-hmm. but our impact from you all is much bigger right. because there's, you know, how many thousands coming through yeah. and then going out into the world and working and being activists mm-hmm. and civic leaders and voting. Mm-hmm. And so I think you all are our biggest potential for impact in this area. So, you know, how we train and teach and give you opportunity to Mm kind of like flex your understanding and um, motivations and passions and values when you're here and then how you use that going out um, I think it's pretty important which is why you know sort of having this opportunity for more curriculum or you know supporting student activism and interest and civic leadership I think is is sort of the key to how we make change. Okay, so moving on to transportation, mm-hmm. I know that that is kind of probably a tricky thing to measure because mm-hmm. we only we're using the data from parking permits mm-hmm. um, and pe- students who live on campus. Mm-hmm. But I know I hear a lot just from like my fellow students that it's difficult to get on campus without a car it if is. you live off campus. Yes. So is there are there any efforts to kind of address the public transportation issue? I could say you know there were. If for as long as I've been here and prior, you know, multiple conversations with TriMet to try and get more service here. Yeah. From my perspective, honestly, they have 
you know, somewhat limited dollars. You know, they have right. funding and they're um, regulated to an extent about where they can add service. Mm-hmm. But in really, they have kind of higher priority areas. Right. Um, so, you know, lower income mm-hmm. neighborhoods, schools. Yeah sort of senior living. What they see is that we are in a predominantly white, very wealthy neighborhood. Yeah. And so getting service here is tricky. Yeah. When they have those other kind of communities that they're considering. Yeah. But yes, it absolutely is hard to get up here without a car. Yeah. You know, it's hard to bike up here. Yeah. It's hard to walk here. All of those options are hard. Yeah. And so yeah, it makes it makes for some difficult situations for us you know trying to manage those transportation emissions Mm -hmm. and give people more options yeah so yeah that one's always a tough one okay I also have been noticing recently just living off campus and walking to school the lack of sidewalks Mm -hmm. can feel kind of dangerous Mm -hmm. as a pedestrian has there ever been any conversations around putting sidewalks in the surrounding neighborhoods I believe there was some city plans where you know adding some sidewalks and Mm -hmm. some bike safety corridors Mm -hmm. was mentioned. I don't know how prioritized our area is relative to other areas that also need sidewalks or have roads that are unpaved. Right. I don't know if there's, there may be changes to shuttle routes in the future. Mm -hmm. We had a bike share program that we're looking to see if we might make some changes to. I don't know if maybe there'll be changes to sort of carpooling incentives Mm -hmm. or biking incentives. Mm -hmm. All those discussions are kind of ongoing. Yeah. What do you think is important, an important takeaway for a student who wants to kind of incorporate sustainability principles into whatever discipline they're interested in? We have a list that we usually post, Mm -hmm. um, and this will be actually, it's a good question for Nicole too, mm-hmm. because she went through all the classes yeah. and sort of inventoried them. Yeah. So there's classes all across the board that are related to this issue. Yeah. And unfortunately right now, you cut, as a student, you kind of have to like go out of your way to find them and put mm-hmm. them together into mm-hmm. like a way that makes sense. Yeah. But there's a lot of really great classes. And there's classes at the grad school and the law school, Mm -hmm. um, some of which are open to undergrads. Mm -hmm. So that's something interesting to know. They have some pretty awesome stuff at the other two schools. And then also, you know, keeping in mind that law school and grad school opportunities are um, open to you. I just recently learned about a graduate school class that's offered actually in the summers. But it's by an alum of the Graduate School of Education who teaches an environmental justice course to high school students. And so he teaches a class at the grad school on the geography of inequality. Mm. And they talk about environmental justice and climate and justice issues in that class, which I think would be fascinating. Yeah. Um, and he also teaches a, a class on student activism and, oh. like, how to promote student activism in the curriculum. Yeah. The, some classes recently that we've done, which may be an opportunity if you wanted to talk with someone at the Beat Center. Yeah. We just, we this is our second year running it, um, ran a sustainability and entrepreneurship class, mm-hmm. which was really fun, and we've had some great sort of class discussions and kind of outcomes outside of the class for students and then now we're doing a summer sustainability internship which is we'll have the applications open shortly but that will be a four credit class um, over the summer it'll be one week 
kind of professional training and then also some content specific training and knowledge gathering which will be open to students of all majors we're going to have about I think 10 or 12 potential placements so you'll spend a week kind of in the classroom learning about like professional etiquette and tools some specific content around sustainability and then students will apply to an internship placement and then interview with them and then that internship placement will hire them cool yeah wow and in some kind of business that's sustainability focused yes um some business and some nonprofits. Mm-hmm. we might have a government entity in there as well the opportunities from working one was uh, working with a green building mm-hmm. um firm Mm -hmm. a construction and building firm um doing a project for them looking at their current sort of contractors and partner list or it's really like a database Mm -hmm. and figuring out which of those are women or minority owned Mm -hmm. businesses Mm -hmm. and then flagging those and then figuring out a way they can contract um track that information over time and then also include that into their procurement process And so they're a B Corp certified company oh. currently, and so this is part of their B Corp certification. Yeah. And then, um, then also sort of developing a list or inventory of other minority or women-owned businesses, mm-hmm. and um, like having sort of a connection or outreach strategy for the business. So that's one of the jobs. Wow. That's paid. That's so cool. Yeah, and it's like for me, any major could do yeah, that. Totally. Anybody could do Definitely. that. But ideally, if somebody was interested specifically in business or those kind of social issues around contracting or B Corp certification like that would be ideal for that person who like wanted to have that on the resume and and be able to share that experience we're having an information session on March 4th okay and then the applications will be open so you have to apply to be in the class because we can only take as many as we have placements for yeah and then then you'll register on, like, March 6th, I think. Okay. And are you paying, like, summer tuition to be able to take that course? So you pay since it's – the Bates Center is paying for the, the instructor, actually. So oh, wow. you actually only pay, like, a summer registration fee, which is 250 bucks. Okay. I think it's a good time for students to engage in what they want to learn and do while they're here around this area. So the entrepreneur – you know, we're – we usually consult students on these type of things, but, you know, if there's anything in particular that people want to learn or do, that would be great to know. Yeah. Like skills kind Yeah, of skills. Yeah. Or, like, we had a student recently in one of our sustainability council meetings express her interest and desire in having student activism more fully supported yeah. in the curriculum. Yeah. And we had a great conversation about, like, what that could look like, like, yeah. you know, one of our law school professors was talking about, you know, the law school students are obviously learning how to build lawsuits and build mm-hmm. a case. And, you know, but it could be anything from, you know, writing Congress people to participating in city councils yeah. to, you know, putting stuff on the ballot. I mean, yeah. there's so many different ways that you can engage civically mm-hmm. and, like, have the opportunity to, like, really explore what activism looks like from all kinds of angles. Mm-hmm. So just know, knowing what is of interest yeah. would be great. Okay, great. Well, awesome. thank you so much for answering my question. Thank you for having me. Of course. 
Up next, we'll hear from Lauren Walker, the president of Students Engaged in Eco-Defense, also known as SEED Club. All right, hello. I'm here with Lauren Walker, the president of SEED. Lauren, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks, Mateo. Uh, so tell me about SEED's role in, in kind of influencing Lewis and Clark's investment decisions. Yeah, so SEED for a while, to my knowledge, has been pretty involved in divestment in general. And so it, it began long before I was here. I'm honestly not sure when, like maybe in 2012, 2013, um, a group of students were pushing for Lewis and Clark to divest. And that didn't go through for a number of reasons. And then in the fall of 2016, which is when I was a freshman here, um, a new group of SEED students like sort of emerged that idea and um, brought it to light to the administration again. And then with that, it sort of just began this process of talking to people like high up at the college, so like the financial advisor, the president, and all sorts of people. And it took a while to kind of build up to get those meetings with them. And seed students were really integral in the divestment process because they were the ones constantly pushing the administration to be like, this is something that we should be doing. And thankfully, they were pretty receptive to that. But ultimately, it's the board of trustees that votes on those sorts of things. So seed members like went to board meetings and presented their ideas. And like they were lucky to have, we were like pretty lucky to have the support of the administration in general, but it's still like a hard thing to do because you're making an argument for a pretty big financial decision because a lot of Lewis and Clark's financial holdings were in like certain fossil fuel industries or had ties in some way. Yeah, so for people who may not know, what does divest, right, I know it's a word that's been thrown around a lot, what does divest mean uh, for a college? Yeah, so basically it means that they are stopping to invest in fossil fuel and fossil fuel related companies. And so for Lewis and Clark, that looked like, and is looking like, because this is like an active process that's still happening, but um, what Lewis and Clark decided to do was to stop any future, any new investments in fossil fuel companies, and then to work on slowly eliminating ones that they, like holdings that they already had in place, right? So there's certain, I don't know all the like financial details of it, but like with whoever <laughs> uh, yeah it's complicated but um, there's some things that we can't get out of for like 10 years or something and so the goal that was put in place um, two years ago when divestment was announced for Lewis and Clark was that we would stop any new investments in fossil fuels and then as those things expired that we already were invested in, we would not renew them. And so we would work to slowly like curve out any um, fossil fuel investments that we currently held. And most of that reason is because that is in the financial interest of the college, right? Like we're dealing with these ethical issues of like, we should not be investing in fossil fuels, but also like this is a college that needs to be financially stable. And so it's like a hard balance of them trying to find that. So what did, can you tell me about like what Seed's campaign uh, to, to bring this to the attention of the administration looked like? Yeah, it was mainly that like Seed students, Evelyn in particular, were the ones that were kind of poking administration to be like, this is something that we want and this is something that we care about. And because like, you know, the board and like the college administration, they serve to like cater to the students like as a whole, right? So they kind of have to be receptive to that. And... I know that it was something the college was already interested in, but 
just because of the financial consequences that it might have brought they didn't do it like on their own like it was definitely seed students who were pushing for that and so yeah I think it involved a lot of like meeting with the CFO of the college and making plans with him and like figuring out key details that would basically convince the board to trust or to vote on something like this because they are generally more concerned with the like financial well-being of the college rather than like you know it's important for Lewis and Clark to have like a good name and to be a leader in climate action stuff but if that's not backed up by like being a financially stable college then it probably doesn't make much sense so yeah seed students were like going to board meetings and presenting proposals to them and yeah just like constantly kind of checking in to be like how is this doing and eventually it became more of like a board issue because they're the ones who have to like write up the resolutions the resolutions yeah yeah. but it was like the seed members who were constantly kind of poking at that and making sure that that was happening and you have any thoughts on like it's like future goals for lewis and clark or future goals for seed to campaign uh for lewis and clark to to change in how they spend their money how they invest um or just lewis and clark's sustainability future I think in general, like Lewis and Clark, a lot of students are drawn to this school because it has this reputation of being like environmentally friendly and sustainable and whatnot. And I think it's the job of the students. And I think that's a lot of what C does is constantly checks in with the college to make sure that they are living up to that standard. And I think the fact that we hadn't divested was a huge issue that students had was like well we like make these bold claims to be you know on the cutting edge of and sustainable schools and whatever but we're still contributing money to fossil fuel companies like that doesn't really line up and so I think that the role of students like just constantly keeping administration in check with those issues is super important in terms of specific goals I think that um yeah I mean I think that divesting is like a huge first step in getting that money out of fossil fuel companies. But the way that that is going to be the most impactful is if we choose to put that money towards more like renewable energy sources. And I think that's part of the divestment resolution. And so just making sure that that stays a goal and stays like current that the school is not only like divesting from fossil fuels but investing in cleaner versions of energy because that is what is ultimately going to fix um problems like since lewis and clark made that announcement that we decided to divest the seed email gets tons of emails from like student activists on other campuses that are like hey we saw that you guys divested like can you share what you did and like give us some advice from other similar like student groups that are trying to do the same thing. So I think that's really cool that even though Lewis and Clark isn't a huge school with a massive endowment, we can still be a leader in that and, you know, like promote bigger change by setting an example for other colleges. So I think that's super cool that there is like a sense of community between student groups similar to SEED that are wanting to do similar things and that they have you know, people, like, I think our seed campaign was definitely based on some other schools who did it, and other schools will be based on ours, and it's just kind of like a chain reaction, which is really, really cool, and when other colleges, you know, like, colleges are constantly trying to set themselves apart to attract students, and so when 
a place like Lewis and Clark to something like divest, it hopefully encourages other colleges to come to that level, which I think is really powerful. Thank you so much. Um, unless you have any other thoughts you wanted to share, how's anything I had? No, thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much, Lauren. That's it for the eighth episode of the Piopod. We hope you enjoyed it. The Piopod is now on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Find us there or follow the Pioneer Log on Facebook and Instagram for updates. If you have ideas for stories you want the Pioneer Log to cover, contact us at thepiopod at lclark.edu or visit our website at piolog.com. Thanks for listening and we will see you on March 6th.